Good morning. For those of you who are brand new, my name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church. For those of you who have been here for a while, I know that you will join me in continuing to pray for gifted musicians. <laughs> we are grateful for the ways that God has bountifully blessed us uh, and the ways that those guys help us worship the Lord from the youngest Right on up to the old. We've got a bunch of young ones that are very gifted, and we're grateful for that. Did you find your Bible, Jim? Well, Jim McLaughlin says that someone stole his Bible. Um, <laughs> Jim's of a certain age, if you get my meaning. Officer of the law has stolen the Bible. <laughs> it was the officer's wife, apparently. He's got her cuffed. Well, no, let's not go there. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, uh, an unusual beginning to this morning's <laughs> message. But it's okay. If you look on the wall, it's only 20 minutes till 10. Uh, so we're in good shape. Um, Josh, thank you for pointing that out to me this morning that I've got so much extra time. Well, actually, with the weather last week um, sort of shifting our focus, uh, wanted to go ahead and just take this one week and let the students get back from spring break before we resume our session on the... A place in the family, or a place in the family. I wanted to talk this morning about fear. I, I know that very few of you struggle with fear, ever have to confront fears in your life, but for the handful that do, thought maybe it would be appropriate to talk about fear. Let me ask you a question. With whom do you most identify in Scripture? I mean, if you say, I'm like this person in Scripture, I mean, is it Moses because of his love for the Lord, his love for God, Abraham because of his faith, or Daniel because of his courage, Mary maybe because of her laser-like focus. I want to be like Paul, bold in the gospel. Or is it more likely, well, I'm sort of like Peter because of his big mouth, you know, my big mouth, Peter's big mouth. Or I'm like Martha because she's so busy serving, she didn't take time to focus on the things that are the most important. I suppose if there's anyone in Scripture I would identify with, it would be Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a rather timid soul. Now, you may think that because I joke around and I'm sort of out there and I use my hands a lot when I'm preaching and sometimes, you know, all over the place that I'm not a fear. I am a very fearful person. Not nearly as much as I used to be, but when I was a kid, when I was younger, I was so fearful about so many things. There are places in Scripture, including our text, that, that, that lead us to think that Timothy struggled with fear. Uh, this man, this young man in whom Paul had placed so much trust and had given so much responsibility... <clears throat> was just plain scared. I mean, he was scared of people, scared of confrontation, scared of pain that may result from the first two fears. 
1 Corinthians 16.10, Paul says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Do you recall what kind of letter 1 Corinthians was? It's pretty direct, wasn't it? Bunch of sinners. I've let this guy, I've given this guy over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in order that his soul might be saved in the end. And, and you better quit this. That's stupid. The world doesn't even do this kind of stuff. You guys are awful, Paul said. And then he said, now I'm going to send Timothy. This is timid Timothy, you know. And he's sort of covering for him here, isn't he? He's essentially saying, you know how Timothy is. I better not hear that anybody has caused him any reason to be concerned. Don't mess with him. I expect him to return to me with the brothers. Um, if, if you look in 2 Timothy, there's really no record that Timothy went to Corinth. Titus went. Now, 2 Corinthians is actually, did I say 2 Timothy? 2 Corinthians is actually the third letter in that series. There was another one in between those two that didn't make it, you know, in the scripture. So there could have been some time that went by and, and maybe Timothy did. But we have no record that Timothy actually went to Corinth. And it could be because he was saying, oh, I'm not going to Corinth. So what is your greatest fear? You, you know what the number one fear is, don't you? What I'm doing right now. And it used to scare the mess out of me and still does sometimes. The fear of public speaking, but fear of heights, walking alone at night, tops some list. And especially, can you imagine the fear that our brothers and sisters have or are tempted to have around the world? Is the horrible things that are being done to children before the parents. It's just like the old days when the parents would have to watch the children be thrown to the wild dogs and, and lions in the Colosseum before they were then burned to death. That stuff is going on today. And by the way, guess where Timothy pastored, do you know? He was a teaching elder at Ephesus. Ephesus had a Colosseum that almost rivaled Rome's. And they were about to start doing the exact same stuff in Ephesus that they did in Rome. Killing believers because of their faith in Christ. Now, that is not our top fear right now. I wouldn't imagine it is. So what is your greatest fear? I mean, finances maybe? A lot of us worry about money, don't we? Did I tell you this recently? I heard Jeff Foxworthy say, Every, all couples fight about money. My wife's mad because we ain't got any, and I'm mad because we used to. <laughs> I guess it could go the other way too, you know. But we worry about finances. Do we have enough? Do we have enough when we retire? Do we have enough when we're laid off? Can we get by? Health is a big concern for a lot of people. Children, gonna, are they going to be all right? <clears throat> we 
We wouldn't have thought about this too long ago, but I imagine more and more people in our country are worried about national security. God says in his word often, don't be afraid. But he wouldn't say that if there were no need, would he? Most of us are afraid of something. And our text today addresses fear in our lives. And given us gracious alternatives to fear, gracious alternatives in that they are given to us by God. They're gracious. It's not something that we work up in ourselves, but God gives us alternatives to fear. And in so doing, we can develop a guide to help us confront our fears. Our text is short, but there's a lot to say. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 6. Uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, verses 6 and 7. Would you please stand as we read the Word of God together? <clears throat> 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Lord, um, your word speaks to everything in our lives. It's often not as specific as we want it to be, but it is absolutely sufficient for every single issue that we face. And you have given us the ways to to address the things that, Lord, uh, confront us in a fallen world. And so we pray that we would through the power of the Holy Spirit, confront our fears. Speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Misi. Our text begins for this reason. So, obviously, you've got to have a little bit of context. There's not really a lot that needs to be said here. Paul's just starting the book. By the way, <laughs> 2 Timothy, last letter, last book that Paul wrote, uh, he was in prison and not under house arrest. He was in the Marmotime prison uh, dungeon. He was about to be executed. And he's passing on, he's placing a great deal of responsibility on Timothy's shoulders. In many ways, <laughs> he's saying, I want you to continue on this ministry of the gospel that I can no longer have. Uh, Paul often spoke of Timothy being the best man that he had. And he used him to go and, and, and make sure that everything was going like it should. And Paul begins uh, this section by saying, for this reason. And he's talking about the heritage that, that um, Timothy had, the gospel heritage that he had. His, his grandmother and his mother both believe the gospel, and now it is in you. For this reason, Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy, get to it, flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on 
of my hands. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God has given you a gift and you need to fan it into flame, Timothy. What gift do you have from the Lord? What, what spiritual gift do you have? What are you doing with it? Is it time to fan it into flame? God wants us to be used. The gifts that we have from the Lord come from Him and they are given for the benefit of the body. Just like these guys were blessing us this morning, especially during that special. They were leading us to worship and then they were blessing our hearts and causing us to to ask God for that love for Him all the days of our lives. So Paul said, Timothy, your gift is teaching. But Timothy's particular ministry gift could be dangerous, especially in that day. People tell me sometimes, wow, you preach the word really boldly. I'm not so sure that I do. I mean, for the most part, I'm singing to the choir, right? For the most part, you're saying amen, not, hey, buddy, I want to talk to you after the service. I mean, I've had a few of those, but not uh, quite like that, but it felt like that. Um, <clears throat> so Timothy, though, could at any point be dragged out and beaten to death. But Paul didn't say, Timothy, don't be a baby. Grow up and be a man. He said, Timothy, this fear doesn't come from within you. It's not this spirit of fear is not from the Lord, but the Lord's spirit has given you power, love, and and self-control, or as the King James says, a sound mind. Through his spirit, God has given you gracious alternatives to fear, beginning with power. Can you get your head around this truth that God lives inside of you? Don't say, well, it's the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit God? Is the Holy Spirit just as much God as God the Father? Yes, He is. I'm all about understanding the Holy Spirit and and, and how He is somewhat of a, a neglected member of the Trinity. I just want the right person talking about it the holy spirit does so much he wrote the word he he comforts us he convicts us he comforts us he 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 strengthens us does all of these things points us to jesus over and over but he does say i don't jesus did say he won't speak of himself he'll speak of me he points us to the lord but the holy spirit is god living in you and he's given you power to live this life That's a really good thing if you're anything like me because you desperately need God's presence and power to, first of all, overcome the destructive effect that fear has on our health. It does, doesn't it? Fear messes with your body, doesn't it? I mean, that that anxiety shortens your life. They say it all the time. I'm shocked that I'm still living, really, you know, because of the way that I've been through the years. It, it, it gives you ulcers. And then those ulcers develop into far worse problems. And once, the, once they're 
their physical problems, physiological problems, they're going to take their toll on you. <clears throat> Fear has a destructive effect on our health. We can't sleep at night. Can't enjoy anything. Can't digest food well because of fear. We need power to overcome the destructive effect that fear has on our relationships. <clears throat> when you're really anxious about something, what are you thinking about? That thing all the time. And when you're talking with someone else and the conversation always goes back to that, when, when, when they're talking and you say, you know, and it just goes back, that gets old. Again, I, I know that. I know the temptation to focus on my fear, my anxiety, <coughs> when, it's, when it's strong in my heart and mind. We also need God's power to overcome the destructive effect that fear has on our productivity. Fear can paralyze you, can it? And it keeps you from doing the things that you know you need to get about doing. And God's power enables you. That doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid, but it enables you to move forward. And focus on the things that you need to. So, power is the first gracious alternative that God gives us. And look, it's not a work this up in your own, own mind and heart. God does say, be strong, be a man at times. But only because He enables us to do that. Trust the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And let Him give you power. But also, let Him... Give you the spirit of love. That's an odd contrast to fear, isn't it? I mean, you get, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. You might understand, God has not called you to hate people. He's called you to love people. But he says, God has not given you the spirit of fear. He's given you the spirit of love. 1 John 4, 18 and 19 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. We can say, I will love you, Lord, all the days of my life because he loved us. And it's his love flowing through us. First of all, 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love, for fear has to do with punishment. But if we have been perfected in love, we're not afraid. That's the gospel. We have assurance of heaven because Jesus took our punishment for us. I mean, we had some coming. We deserved it. <clears throat> it belonged to us. It was in our future, but Jesus took it for us. But there's a principle that, begin, that can begin to to lighten the various fears that weigh us down. Love focuses on others. Fear focuses on self. Often our fears are the result of the actions of others or what someone may do. You got a boss that doesn't like you and you're barely getting by. Make you afraid, won't it? I mean, you're trying, but you say things and it comes out wrong and it just, 
Seems like you can't do anything right. When others seem to be at the root of our fears, it's easy to begin to resent them rather than thinking more highly of them than we do ourselves if we're called to do. We're, we're called <laughs> to put other people's interests above our own, to think more highly of them than we do ourselves. But it's difficult when you're afraid and when you don't love. We need love in order to overcome bitterness that we have towards others. Just think about how often your fears are related to other people and what that does to your heart and mind as you're thinking about those other people. We, and that bitterness will eat us up. And, it's a, and, and as we, we learned this past year in Hebrews 12, it talks about a root of bitterness that once it finds its place and starts to grow, many are defiled. Many people are hurt because of the bitterness in our hearts. We need love, God's love, to overcome bitterness towards ourselves. Look, don't raise your hand. Um, <laughs> please don't raise your hand. How many of you are totally satisfied with the way you are? Not many of us, are we? And haven't you found when you're really not liking yourself very much how difficult it is to love other people? And how easy it is to become fearful about what other people think of you? And then when you, when you worry about what they think of you, you start resenting them. We need God's love to overcome bitterness towards ourselves. It's interesting, isn't it, how often Scripture assumes that we love ourselves? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. For no one ever mistreated his own body. And of course, that does happen, but not often. Not, not with men, anyway. You know, we mistreat our bodies with the way we eat and, and, and the things that we do, but we don't do it by starving ourselves or you know cutting ourselves not too much men don't do that but we all dislike something about ourselves and if we're focusing on that because of some fear that we have then it's easy to become bitter towards ourselves and ultimately, we need love to overcome bitterness towards God. I mean, isn't he the one who's responsible for all of this mess anyway? Well, no, it's the devil. Yes, I, I agree with that. But isn't God the one that we ultimately have to blame? If we've got to find somebody to blame for the problems in our lives which is why over and over God calls us to trust Him in His sovereignty. One day it'll make sense. Now's not that day. It will though. And loving God with all your heart. I was thinking about all these, these, these young ones up here today. Singing with such passion. I will love you all my days. I will love you all. That gets challenged along the way. It gets challenged Along the way. Doesn't mean that 
you know, all you guys are, are so young you don't know anything. No, you, you can be very young and be challenged. And some of these guys may have already been challenged. And we know that the only reason that we love God with all of our hearts is because the Spirit of God has given us the spirit of love. Not the spirit of fear, not the spirit of bitterness, anger, resentment, as is not only our temptation, it may be our default mode. Think about all the things that you've griped about this week that you wouldn't have griped about if the spirit of love had reigned in your heart. Let me just take a seat right down here and then say that again. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The great theologian, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, said one time, We have nothing to fear but fear itself. And there's so much truth in that, isn't it? Not from the way that he was saying it. <clears throat> We're going to be victorious. We're going to. Look, when they're about to set your kids. Oh, I won't say it. You know what I'm talking about, though. ISIS, that stuff is fearful. It's horrific. Only with the Spirit of God can you exhibit self-control or a sound mind. Fear completely throws us off our game. And when the kingdom is the game, it's serious. In fact, even though this message is addressing all kinds of fears to Timothy, it was primarily addressing fears related to gospel ministry. So how, how can we deal with fear? What do you do? It's nice to say God's given me this, this, and this. So what do we do? Well, based on this text, and on the basis of all Scripture, we can begin to understand the ways that God helps us over our fears. I don't usually do, this is how to do this kind of a list. I'm going to do one of those today. How to overcome fear. Gracious alternatives to fear. Now let's move to confronting fear. And the first thing that we do is to spend more time in the word. Believing the gospel. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I don't know why. Every time I say that, I think of Ted McKinney. I don't know why, Ted, I think of you when I, when I think about this verse. I just think about the way Ted and Gail took that word to people that never heard the gospel. Maybe that's it. And, and I know Ted's deep love for the gospel and spreading the truth. And this is a missionary kind of a text. People can't hear unless someone goes. And, and, and they've got to share the word. They've got to be sent and they've got to share the word. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The first thing to do for almost any problem that you have is to spend more time in the word. I'm not trying to say there's no benefit to medicine. There's no benefit to counseling. I, I am all about those things. But time, 
if faith comes from hearing, isn't that what we, from, from the word? If faith comes from the word, don't we need to spend time there? It's the first thing. Not the only thing, but it's the first thing to do. Get in the word. Not necessarily verses about fear, because you know what happens? Because you say, oh, 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 where's that verse about fear? Gosh, that doesn't help me at all. You know, now what? Now I'm, I'm sunk. Now I don't think like that. Just get in the Word. Be in the Word every day. Stay in the Word. Let the Word change you. Let the Word direct the way that you think. So more time in the Word. Believing the gospel that we're nothing and we're helpless and we're hopeless without God because of our sin. But in Christ, we have been granted all the riches of heaven. All of Jesus' riches are now, now ours. By the way, while, while that's up there, believing the gospel, let me encourage you to be here Wednesday night <clears throat> for the church history class. Look, we had about, I think there were, 15 of us the last time. That's great. We started with about 50. We, we, we've got 15 now. I'm happy with that number. That's a hard, it's a hard task to go through church history the way we have been. But you know what you missed this last time? You missed some information <clears throat> about two guys. Um, Charles Finney and a guy that none of us had ever heard of. In fact, I can't even remember his first name. Nettleton, what is it? Uh, what? As a hell. I don't know, how can you forget Azahel? Azahel Nettleton, second great awakening. This guy, reformed pastor up in the Connecticut area, I think he was, New England somewhere. And uh, he just saw the Lord doing great things as he preached the word, but he was always very careful about how he, he um, um, encouraged people to trust the Lord. He would almost go the other way, saying, now you just make sure before you come to the Lord. And and Charles Finney, on the other hand, um, basically was the father of the modern-day invitation. He had this mourner's bench where people could come forward, or anxious bench where if you're anxious in the service, you can come forward. What Nettleton did, as people started getting agitated when the gospel was preached, he would set up another meeting in someone's home. And they would go there, and he would explain the gospel more clearly. Finney set up this... Uh, anxious bench and they would come forward and, and, and he would promote a lot of emotional kinds of responses to the word. And Charles Finney, whose statue stands, I don't know if it still does, at Wheaton College, is considered by many as a great hero of evangelical thought. In his book, Systematic Theology, he said, to think that Christ's righteousness can be imputed to us is gospel fiction. He didn't think that Adam's sin was binding on us and that we could become a better and better person. And it's in his writings. It's not what people say about it. It's in his writings. He's Pelagian. I don't know if the man's a Christian. And yet he is highly revered in our thinking. And he's the father of the invitation. And it troubles people sometimes. They say, I'm not used to this. I just think, I just think we ought to have an invitation. Never had invitations before, before Charles Finney. 
That's never been in the church. A lot of people don't now. A lot of you have been saved sitting in the pews and over a period of time hearing the gospel and ultimately saying, I believe that. I believe that and the Lord moving your heart without this. And yet people that walk the aisles every Sunday, what happens? Some of you got saved walking the aisle. Allison got saved walking the aisle. I walked the aisle right after I got saved because it's what we do. But an understanding of, uh, of that is helpful. And I'm saying all of that about Finney because if more time in the Word is the, is the help for fear, what you're going to be led to do is to believe the gospel. Not always agitated, not always worked up. What do you need to confess right now? Of course we need, life is, a, is, is constant repentance and confession, yes, but not the guilt kind of stuff laid on you. The gospel relieves you from guilt. And it tells you that you're accepted in Christ. And that is the beginning of dealing with fears, confronting the fears that you have. Second, pray specifically for victory over this particular fear. Don't be content with general prayers Pray very specifically. And again, pray believing. Don't pray thinking, well, Lord, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. Just pray, God, help me to confront this issue in my life, which is the third point. Confront your fear. Don't run. Two types of runners, generally, track and field. Um, you've got sprinters, and then you've got long-distance runners, and, you know, in between. But but. I'll sort of say typically, you just you never find somebody that, you know, is, is 100 meters and then also uh, two miles. You know, you're not, you're not going to run those two events in, in the same day. Sprinters, long-distance runners. When it comes to trials, I turn into an unusual athlete. I'm a long-distance sprinter. I mean, I turn around. You know, the temptation is... You're confronted with a problem. Turn around and run just as hard and fast as you can and keep on running until you drop. And then if they get you, well, whatever. You know, you can't do anything more. Churchill said that the two things everyone, everyone wants in war are more time and assurance of victory. And war offers neither. <laughs> Life is the same way, isn't it? If I just had a little more time, if I just knew everything was going to be okay, you can't know that. So you just have to confront your fear. Then fourth, expect setbacks. I mean, when Jesus spoke of the cross, his disciples were thrilled about that, weren't they? I mean, they loved it. Jesus, would you talk more about how you're going to be crucified? I mean, they rebuked him. Just said, no, no. Don't talk about that. But there is no growth. There is no kingdom advance. There is no life apart from the cross. And the way of the disciple is the way of the cross. We follow Jesus there. We're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet it's not us who lives. But the life we live now we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Some of the setbacks in your life may be 
significant, requiring an entirely new approach to what lies before you. You didn't want to be in this place. But it's exactly the place that God has brought you to. And remember, number five, if you fail, you may have lost a battle, but you haven't lost the war. How often are we willing to give up after the first failed attempt at something? Well, I tried to witness, but the dear one cussed me out. I won't be doing that again. You think Satan had anything to do with the negative response uh, to your attempt to share the gospel of Christ? He doesn't want you to witness. Look, he doesn't want anything good to happen in your life. He doesn't want the kingdom to advance And the more he can do to keep you from doing what you ought to do, the more successful he is. But just remember this. If you fail, you haven't lost the war. You may have lost the battle. It may be the most significant thing as far as me staying in ministry in the earlier years when I I just was so fearful and was ready to jump out. Bob Yandel. I was talking with him about it one day, and he said these very words. Look, if you lose a battle, you haven't lost the war. And that encouraged my heart. Sometimes when we win a battle, we think we've won the war. We haven't. But it goes the other way as well. If you make a mistake, if you mess up, God is going to pick you up. It's his story, and you get to be a part of it. It's not your story that has fallen apart, and now it's all over, and it's just not worth going on. It's not life is not worth living. It's not. No, it's not your story. It's his story. And we, he graciously brings us into his story. And the script doesn't all, it's not always written the way we want it to be written. And so, we, we hit, hit a wall and we say, oh, that's just too much. No. That's a battle. There's no war that is won without some battles being lost. God will give you courage as you need it. But even if you end up like Peter, who took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink, Jesus will lift you up. Number six, Thank God for specific victories. We tend to ask in earnest and thank in passing. Oh, God, please. Oh, oh, that's nice. Thanks. Remember the story of the ten lepers, right? Luke 17. They were healed and one turned back. A Samaritan turned back. That was a big deal. Samaritan turned back to thank you. And Jesus was moved deeply. He wasn't moved that the one turned back to thank him. Let me ask you a question. Do you think those other nine were grateful? If you know anything about leprosy, you know that they were grateful. But Jesus said, where are the other nine? You don't suppose they're out there 
having general feelings of gratitude, do you? Why didn't they thank me? A big part of you getting to the place that God wants you to be is to give thanks when he does marvelous things in your life. What a difference. What a difference. Talking about love a while ago, what about that spirit of gratitude? What if we were just grateful to God? Instead of focusing on the problems, focus on him. Number seven, trust God for new challenges. In 1974, Johnny Miller did something Jack Nicholas never did, Arnold Palmer never did, Gary Player never did. He won eight tournaments in one year. Um, that was a big deal back then. But he never caught Jack one year. One day, if you remember USA Today, USA Today was began to be published for people like me who like, you know, just little snippets of information. You should have this quote of the day uh, in the sports section. I think in all the sections, but in the sports section especially. And I saw Johnny Miller. I remember this quote very vividly. And I have tried like crazy to find this thing, and I can't find it anywhere. I've Googled a mess out of it and can't find it. But someone asked Johnny Miller because they thought this is going to be it's one of those guys that may be the greatest golfer to ever live, just like we thought about Tiger Woods when he was starting early on. And, and, and it never really happened. He won some majors. You know, Johnny Miller had a great career. Uh, a lot of people wish he were still playing and not commentating on the golf tournaments. But he, <clears throat> someone asked him, why did you never achieve the success that Jack achieved? And he said, well... He said, whenever Jack got to the top of a mountain, whenever he reached a peak, he looked for the next peak to climb. He said, when I got to the top of the mountain, I stopped to enjoy the view. <laughs> Just think about that. Now, listen, this is in no way saying that we should not appreciate the journey that we're on. And it's not always in conquering. That's not the point. But this is a point we never get to rest in our relationship with the Lord. We never, we will enter into rest when we are in heaven. Between now and then it will be conflict, it will be pain, it will be loss. But when we are able to see through God's help conquering of a particular fear or a particular issue that has plagued us. We need to be seeing what's next. God is gracious not to allow us to rest too long. You know, you get comfortable in where you are. And the Lord says, okay, it's time to grow some more. You know, and he brings something else into your life that is insurmountable. How long will this be? Listen, like I said last week, if you were here, maybe you weren't here. But I was talking about how... When we get to heaven and we understand the relationship between suffering and glory, not only will it be worth it, we'll almost wish we had suffered more. <clears throat> not that we had asked God to, to give us all kinds of wonderful things and for life to go easy for us. We will wish that we had struggled more so that we could see even greater blessings. But it's all worked out in God's mind. It's not one of those, if you do this, that... That's his doings. We, we need to just worry about where we are. And when God brings something into your life, 
say it's okay. Oh, I thought I was past this. Well, if you're not, it's okay. God's doing something in your life. Believe the gospel. He is working all things for your good so that you will become conformed to the image of Jesus. Isn't that what you want as a believer? Don't you want to be like Jesus? Careful what you wish for because Jesus went to the cross and that's where we're going. If he's going to make us like him, But I think that's every believer's heart to be like Jesus. Did you ever think that the fears that plague you could be the very thing that God is using to make you more like his son? That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Let's pray. Well, Lord, um, we know there are a lot of reasons in our hearts and in our lives why we can't be what we want to be. Maybe it's physical limitations, emotional limitations. opportunities that just are not presenting themselves. <laughs> That's from our perspective. Lord, your perspective is entirely different. You called Timothy to guard and protect the gospel. And he was fearful. And yet, Lord, in spite of his fears, you used him mightily. And what we know about Timothy is that he died very bravely preaching the gospel. Father, um, I pray that as we are faced with things that are big to us. They may seem small in the scheme of things or they may seem, seem small to other people, but they're big to us. May the fear melt away as you graciously, by your Holy Spirit, not just standing apart from us, but living inside of us, gives us power love, and self-control. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We love you and will for the rest of our lives because we can do no other. The gospel has captured our hearts and at the center of the gospel is Jesus and at the center of the gospel is the cross of Jesus. And his resurrection. Raise us up. Lord you have raised us up. Where we are seated. In the heavenlies. With you. So bring courage to our hearts. May we believe. In 
Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? As Moses, as Moses spoke to Aaron, and he instructed him in the way of blessing the people of Israel, he said, say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace.